Welcome to the We Are All Needed podcast, a space where we together will inspire people to do something good. This podcast is for all of us that care. We care about how we spend our days, how we show up for each other and for the planet. I'm your host, Alexander Nash. I am many things as we all are, but the things I most proudly identify with are I'm an entrepreneur, a mother, business coach, athlete, and meditation teacher. I've roamed the impact startup world for over 15 years now, and I feel like it is time to share the stories of so many fascinating people doing so many incredible things. Together with the guests on this show, we will provide inspiration that no act is too small and that we are all needed. Let's dive in to this week's episode. Today, I'm welcoming Sophie back to the podcast. Sophie is a professor of social entrepreneurship at IMD in Switzerland. A globally recognized thought leader on social entrepreneurship, she has taught and conducted empirical research on the topic in Europe, the United States and South Africa, and has co-edited three social entrepreneurship books. In her research, Sophie investigates and theorizes about entrepreneurial action aiming to solve intractable social and environmental problems at the individual, organizational and civic levels of analysis. She has published over 40 peer-reviewed articles in the top management and entrepreneurship journals. Her scholarship has been awarded multiple recognitions. Sophie is a co-director of the annual Social Entrepreneurship Conference. She is the co-founder of the Civic Wealth Initiative, and she also co-teaches the unique week-long Social Entrepreneurship Doctoral Seminar offered multiple times a year. Phew, what a bio. In this conversation, we talk about bravery, imposter syndrome, and what her personal journey has looked like as she has chosen an academic path towards impact. How we can learn from good intentions, but how in the end it is necessary to invest in making sure that they are followed by positive outcomes. Hi, Sophie. Welcome to the We Are All Needed podcast. It is so lovely of you to take the time out of your busy schedule to be here. Hi, Alex. I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. That's great. Um, I always like to start off this podcast with the, the same question. And so I want to ask you, if you got to view the future in the most idealistic way possible, it could look in any kind of way that you wanted, what would that future look like to you? Great question. Uh you know, I, I think I'm a I'm a bit biased in certain ways, given my um, my work and my focus on social impact and and improving human well being for everybody on the on the planet. And so, to me, the answer to your question is like I would like every human being to have their basic needs covered. Yeah. Having worked in business schools, having studied a lot of businesses and corporations and organizational forums. I don't think that the means are lacking. I think there's a lot of resources. There is a lot of money. It's not the issue. It's really once you've created value, how you redistribute it, how you 
who you how you make sure that everyone in your community and we don't have to go look too far even though you know we're both based here in Europe if you start looking far I think the needs are higher um but this I think this issue of misdistribution yeah. of the value that gets created really really bugs me I mean to thrive in life I hope everybody can thrive in life but for that I think your basic needs need to be covered yeah you know and so I hope we get there I think yeah. a lot of people are trying there's a lot of you know well-intentioned yeah. um people but I also think that this idea of okay if I'm creating whatever values from my business and my you know entrepreneurial venture how do I make sure that part of it is allocated to fellow human beings who have less so yeah. that they can do better they can do they can do what they dream of doing as opposed yeah. to making sure they can eat something yeah so. yeah that's such a good point and to just take a very small example of that I was um, I was buying new trainers the other day and I was mm -hmm. in the store to look at shoes and the shoes were I don't know maybe three times expensive as they were maybe seven years ago and I got talking to the guy and I said, like, surely making these shoes are not that much more expensive than they were just a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I mean, no, they're not. And then he said, you know, yeah, maybe shipping is a little bit more expensive because of COVID. But he said, to be honest, all it is, they're making more money now. Yeah, this is not this you is know? not the answer you want, right? You were like, oh yeah, it is more expensive to make them because the salaries of these people making the shoes has doubled. Exactly. Okay, I'll buy two pairs. Exactly. Know? And I was like, okay, great. Well, yeah, that really makes sense. I'll spend three hundred euros on a pair of running shoes. They're gonna last me for a year. Like, mm -hmm. how are we still here? It just really baffled me when I was, yeah, when I was talking to him. Um. So in uh in uh in a short uh sentence or two uh who who are you and where are you and what do you do okay okay my first sentence is gonna have a lot of comments um because i i think of myself as many things but then i'll specify in the second sentence so i'm i'm a mother it's very self-defining for me i'm an academic i'm a nerd i'm a researcher I'm a teacher, I'm a learner, um, and I hope to be a, some kind of an, a connector and an inspirer. So that's why I'm so grateful to be here. What I do um, with um, a good part of my day is to, uh, professionally, is to um, research how businesses can create and generate authentic and effective social impact. And I do that through, you know, talking with um, organizations, mostly social enterprises. Yeah. And increasingly with larger corporations since moving now to uh, IMD, which is uh, the Institute for uh, Management Development in Switzerland and being closer to uh, lots of uh, corporate partners. Um, so I'm based in, I'm based in Lausanne now. I'm originally from Brussels in Belgium. Nice. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. <laughs> I think I think most of our most of us really are many things. Mm -hmm. It's just that maybe sometimes we identify too much as one thing. So I <laughs> right. think it's beautiful that we can see ourselves as like <laughs> mm -hmm. whole human beings. Mm -hmm. So how did you know that 
that this was your path um, to walk? Because I'm assuming maybe you have you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you had this this you know um, dream or vision or passion for doing something that created mm-hmm. some good. But you could have taken many paths, like you mm-hmm. chose academia, but I'm sure there's, you know, myriad mm-hmm. of other things you could have done. Mm-hmm. How did you choose this one? Great question. So I'm now, you know, if you want to, I didn't mention that in the prior with my myriad of things I am. Uh, yeah, I'm currently professor of social entrepreneurship. Um, and I don't know if, you know, I chose academia or academia chose me. I've done a lot of, you know, reflections and sense-making, but I chose academia or academia chose me when I was in my early twenties. So that's fairly young. Right. And I think some of us may just have a very clear, you know, path, uh, for their lives. I I didn't, right. I, I didn't necessarily, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pharmacist. So that was kind of my clear path. And then that kind of Um, went away. Yeah. Um, I'm saying academia chose me because it really, it really, this profession enables me to tap into my strengths and also challenge me in way that, inspire me so you know what gets better than that so my strengths were being a very good student you know I was a very good student throughout my you know high school and and then my studies which I did in in Belgium at the Université Catholique de Louvain to all of them so undergrad and master's and then the PhD Um, the question of you know entering academia was not posed directly but kind of surfaced as I finished my master's it was a master's that um, was focused on entrepreneurial studies. Mm-hmm. I got in there not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I know you're a super entrepreneur. I'm like way too risk averse. Uh, but I was just interested in the topic. And it was also, I have to say, you know, it was serendipitous because I got in the program because it was a highly regarded program. And so yeah. it was like challenging intellectually. Um the question to enter academia surfaced there because I had done my master's. Most of my, I knew what I did not want to do. A lot of friends were getting into these, um, you know, consulting jobs. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I just was not inspired or called to go there, you know, consulting or, you know, accounting. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to, how do you say, to, to push the <laughs> the um, the temptation to resist the temptation of uh, having a nice car because you know there's a yeah. lot of perks of getting into these corporate jobs when you you get a good degree and then you're a good you know good student and likely a good performer as a junior Definitely. in the company. So I did I did not want to do that. It was a part of me was like I'm not interested. Like it, it, it sounded futile. That's not how I wanted to spend my time. And all I could think of when I was done with my master's was teaching. And I think that is also part of DNA. Both my parents are um, teachers. They they have retired uh, a few years ago, but my mom was a primary school teacher. She taught kids how to uh, read, you know, and do math and, you know, oh, the nice. first, first grade um, level. And my dad was a um, uh, high school uh, teacher in English and German and Dutch. And so I think, you know, 
I had that in me, but I hadn't realized because, you know, all I had done until then, you know, it's like you start school at six and then I was like 20 something and I had done all my studies and I was great. Like, how, you know, how, what do you do with your knowledge? Like, oh, I kind of want to teach others. Yeah. And so one path for me was to go and uh, go teach high school, you know, students and mm -hmm that would have been math you know, or something like that, but I needed to study for another three years. And I thought, you know, that sounded like a long, you know, a long time. And so instead I made the ir irrational choice of studying for another six years and showing the PhD. But what got me in there, the Belgian system is different from the US, I don't know, in Australia, the PhD, most PhDs um, are funded by the university as a, you know, part-time 50% employment in teaching uh, activities. Okay. So yeah. I was helping professors, uh, you know, teach and give tutorials to the master's students in, you know, in the, in, in the courses where I was sitting one or two years before that, right? So I was a teaching assistant. And, and this is when, after spending two years of teaching and, and really exhausting myself because it was a lot of repetitions. You know, it's 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 a different model where we have really really large classes, and I would take small groups, but it would be an endless number of groups. Yeah. And at the same time, I was um, told, you know, with along with the teaching, please um, start doing research. Like, what is research? You know, <laughs> what are these journals? I've never heard of them. It's like, and so a whole world opened to me. And then I was really quickly swallowed into it to the point that all I wanted to do was research. Um, I, I just really got the bug. And the question I chose very early on, kind of capitalizing on my, my you know, education in entrepreneurial studies was to study social entrepreneurship because it was just emerging there. And it's thanks to, thanks to my advisor who said, well, there's this new thing. Uh, it's called social entrepreneurship. Here, here are like four readings, you know, because the that literature is really, really thin. And so, yeah, I um, I got started in understanding and making sense of the phenomenon of social entrepreneurship, social enterprises, and and you know, the rest is history. Because from there, I just you know, I stuck with it. So, yeah. what was it about the research that you really? Uh took so on took so too um I think a lot of us a lot of us in the academic profession we are we have some you know personality traits you know it must be studies I haven't done those studies but you know curiosity you know you have to be a little perfectionist because there's a lot of details you know in the the way you consider methodology you you gotta like the, the nitty-gritty yeah. of um you know, asking the questions, going back to the data. Um, yeah, I liked, I, I really liked that. And I liked reading, even though, you know, I know the podcast, the podcast is not only for academics, but I always tell my students now, you know, when I started my PhD, I wasn't, I didn't speak English very well and it took me a day to read an article. So it was challenging, but it was, it was just very interesting. I think I picked the right topic for me. And that was also built on, and, um, you know, my interest, I had done volunteering, but, you know, ad hoc. Um, yeah. My master's thesis, though, was a business plan because I was in this entrepreneurship program. And this was in partnership with two students from civil engineering. And we put a business plan together for a biofuel 
So that was like 2005. And so that was still, you know, it was still a little, you know, uh, avant-garde and, and very, I think, very committed to, to people in the, in the planet back then already. So, yeah, I think I just really, I really got um, lucky in the, you know, the fit of the topic that, you know, some, someone mentioned it to me and that spoke to me. I really believe in intuition. Like, you know, I just, yeah, I, I just, think that believe in the sense that oftentimes it tells you what to do you're just going to be able to listen to it and so that's my sense making you know <laughs> like 20 years after it was not like I was like oh this is my intuition I'm going to do that it's like that speaks to me let's explore yeah um yeah I think it's a strong it's a strong um how do you say it compass at yeah times. So, definitely yeah. and I think um like you said the podcast is for I mean, the podcast is really for for anyone. And I, what I want to explore is that I think a lot of us carry this feeling of, you know, we want to help or we want to do something that matters or we want some kind of purpose or we want to make some sort of reason of everything. And often we have this big idea that, you know, stereotypically, um, unless I go to, to Africa and save the world, right. there's no point in doing anything. And I don't think that's true because I think mm. many small actions in the end will probably be, if not more, at least as good as one big action. Absolutely. So whether that is like spreading kindness in your community or growing food, you know, locally for your neighbors or being a professor and inspiring, you know, promising students to go out and start their ventures. There's so many ways um, that you can take that. And Absolutely. I think I think that's beautiful. So you've talked about social entrepreneurship and social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you define, um, because I know there are many definitions mm-hmm. of this kind of phenomenon. And yeah. I'm also now with the name of my business, throwing something else in there where I call it <laughs> circular entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. Um, because for me, I mean, there's a lot of talk of, of circular economics, but mm-hmm. I think it's very um even though it's progressive. And of course, I mean, I like the whole concept. I think it's very product focused. And I think if you want to create organizations and and uh, businesses that thrive, there are more aspects to it. There's the social aspect, there is the product aspect, but there is, you know, how do the employees feel? How do you mm-hmm. treat your stakeholders? Um, what's the environmental impact? What's the financial impact? And what's mm-hmm. the social impact? So there are so many words now. There's like, I mean, to mention just a few, like ecopreneur, impactpreneur, mm-hmm. sociopreneur, uh, purpose-led business. There's so many. Mm-hmm. How would you define um, a social entrepreneur? Would you say all of these, um, all of these things that I mentioned are the same, or how would you define it? Yes, I think I think I would lean toward simplicity and and um, say that social entrepreneurship is the you know the identification and enacting of opportunities that primarily aim at bringing about positive social change, yeah. social and or environmental or societal. Um, and then I would get to the action, like, how do you do that, right? And you can do that with more of a circularity mindset, more of an environmental mindset, more of an eco mindset. 
I spent a lot of time in my readings and writings as a as an academic, you know, getting for the nitty gritty and social is this, and you know, it comes from that word and it's different from societal. And so I think that's that matters for research a lot because you want to define your phenomenon. And so when somebody, you know, that is not you is doing a study five years later, they build on your work, they use the same definition and the same. Uh, kinds of data and then you accumulate knowledge in that way so I think definitions really matter in that respect but now you know with a bit more wisdom um, you know I I think in the practice of it uh, any word that you think is fitting uh, the purpose and the context is acceptable right and I'm saying the context because I have students and colleagues in Germany where sustainable entrepreneurship is a big deal and sustainable is a mix of social and environmental. Mm -hmm. But when you bring that word to the US, sometimes sustainable is is more leaning towards the environmental, not so much the social, right? And so in a context, you have to be able to understand the words that um, people use. I've heard, oh, social entrepreneurship is you know, is passe, no, it's impact entrepreneurs, you know, fine, <laughs> you know, fine. Yeah. I think, I think um, these words capture, all of these adjectives capture an intention for positive impact, positive change, and um, they capture different ways of doing so by contrast to more traditional entrepreneurship or economics and so on. That's it. I think we live in very interesting times because I think that um, traditional businesses are, are are paying more attention to their impact or are called, you know, by a variety of stakeholders to um, to pay more attention to their uh, to their impact. And so, what used to be, you know, um, a differentiator, saying, you know, it's it's circular entrepreneurship as opposed to non-circular and, you know, linear and, yeah. you know, waste and no recycle, right? Or what used to be social enterprise as opposed, you know, by contrast to a commercial enterprise. I think the, the nuances are, the boundaries between the two are fading. And I think it's for the greater good. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I... I think to me, I still call it as I've called it and, you know, I have internal consistency in my work, but I'm open to new new words, especially if it's more relevant for the context and the work that um, that people do. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's great if they can, you know, learn from each other, the, the typical mm-hmm. social entrepreneur, maybe smaller company and the larger yeah. uh, corporations. Because um, I always, because there's always the fear of, I don't know if there is an equivalent uh, term of greenwashing that's more like, I don't know, social washing. Can you call yeah, it? Yeah, I heard no. something the other day. I don't know if it's social washing or something else. But I don't yeah. know what it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, But there's always, the, there's always the fear of that. And when um, me and my husband started one of our social ventures where we did um, water projects in Central African Republic, and we created these sugarcane water bottles. That was the first water bottles made from a plant material. We kind of had at least the intention that we didn't want to like take with one hand and give with, with the other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a little bit of a dilemma sometimes if you produce 
you know, a bunch of, I don't know, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but like a bunch of textile uh, yeah. products, for example, you sell millions. Mm -hmm. Then if you give with your other hand this money to some yeah. sort of foundation or what's the plus might like what's the actual yeah. equation I think that's almost more interesting than looking mm -hmm. at the you know absolutely within themselves I think I, I think you're absolutely right and I and I I believe that we're moving um towards more holistic thinking yeah. of impact and of course it took, you know, it took you that experience and me 10 years of writing in a very silo way to understand that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just the, you know, to your example, the product, like the water bottle that you, uh, you produce, it's also how you produce it, who is yeah. involved in the production. So it's a bigger question for my work. It's not just a social entrepreneur in their little dreamy, you know, social entrepreneurship ecosystem making change. It's also how they can relate to other stakeholders and, and maybe collaborate for change. And so I think the holistic question and the holistic approach is key. Yeah. I see challenges. I mean, one of them is uh, when I think of larger corporations, <laughs> their operations are so large yeah. that holistic becomes like, you know, so complex that it's hard to comprehend, comprehend for for one's mind, you know, a leader's mind or a few advisors' minds. Yeah. Um, at the at the same time, I also want to say that it's great to launch and study social enterprises because they're the perfect, um, not perfect, but they're a very good um phenomenon to understand what impact is, to understand yeah. um how impact can be enacted. And I'm saying this you know, thinking of an organization I talked to yesterday where they were doing a lot of good business and writing checks and donating goods yeah. related to their core business. And they were doing so with good intentions, right? I think intentions matter. And sometimes it's hard if you're writing up the checks for a good conscience or if you yeah. really want to help. And so it's hard to get in those debates with and getting out with a, a clear answer. Um but they were doing that. And along the way, um, with advisors, like, I don't know, I wasn't there and I, I don't know who were the key actors, but over the past few years, they really rethought their impact approach in a way, and it's a global organization, in a way that is way more social entrepreneurially inspired, way more bottom up. So they used to have very scattered impact activities, you know, funding a school in Africa yeah. and reducing water usage, like, you know, all over, just not all great, but um, they're, they were having a hard time communicating about it and thought it's time for a change. So there was also a business, it was also a business decision. Like we can't communicate, we're doing good, but it's, you know, it's so idiosyncratic that we cannot communicate about it. And as a result, they engaged in this process of, of uh, collaboration and co-creation with a lot of actors and hearing from the beneficiaries directly and enacting. I mean, I was inspired and blown away and still so amazed that they didn't put it like that. But my understanding is that they used and applied successfully the principles of social entrepreneurship, which are, you know, bottom up, um, you know, venturing, starting from the, the need, empathetic, you know, thinking, perspective taking 
um, recognizing that they're not the experts, asking then, you know, local nonprofits to help them understand the problem, to help co-create the solution, leading from the back. I mean, all of that is like, wow. it, it's very, very inspiring. And I think it gave me a lot of hope. And I think there are many corporations um, that are, that are well-meaning and, yeah. you know, maybe they write the checks because that's all they do. That's, that's the way of doing, you know, it's like, you know, you know, everybody in, and corporations and corporate leaders included have a lot of demands these days, right? Yeah. It's like over information, everything is, is urgent. And so writing a check is, is, is way easier, you know, it takes no time, you know, the nonprofit is grateful who is receiving yeah. the check. But for meaningful impact, I think there are other ways of doing so and that, you know, social entrepreneurs uh, are really inspiring and can really inspire. Yeah, so, yeah, that's interesting. I just read a book actually called Redundant Charities. I think you'd like Ooh. it. It's yeah, not too big of a book. I'm going to have him on the podcast as well. Okay. Um, and he talks more about obviously charities, but the kind of the thesis that a charity should know the end goal before they start because mm -hmm. they become a bit of a self, you know, um, and the whole thing that everything needs to be a bit more systems thinking, which mm -hmm. I think is, is the key. And the first time I got into hearing more about the systems thinking was when I was working in the water, water sector mm -hmm. and the wash sector. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling around in central Africa and I saw all these water wells and there was, I think they said somewhere around 70% of the water wells don't work within five years. And it's kind of that writing the check, you know, for a water well, but then who is making sure that they work? And I'm just taking water as an example, but there were wells there that if you just, you know, uh, changed a, a bolt or something that was... Mm -hmm three dollars the water mm -hmm. well would work again but no one took the time to look at that system instead you funded and then you like dug a new well right next to the old well that mm -hmm. didn't work and I think it yeah. creates such an interesting picture however finding out that the bolt is missing is much 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 harder mm -hmm. than collecting money to dig a new well yeah so my question is like how do you how do you begin trying to create a little bit more impact with what you have without getting completely overwhelmed? Um, you know, like to, if you take someone like Tom Shoes, who has mm -hmm. been an inspiration for so many social entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. then if you look at the, if you look at research and if you mm -hmm. read more on it, no mm -hmm. one really believes in his idea. But at the same time, he inspired loads of people that maybe didn't do things perfectly, mm -hmm. but they probably did help some people, mm -hmm. you know, how do you get over that? Like, well, even if even like Blake McCoskey, Tom shoes get battered for trying to do something <laughs> good, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how, what would you say to mm -hmm. people? Yes. Yeah. That's a tough question. And I think, you know, as you just said, like, you know, he's, he's getting battered. We got battered for, for trying and intending to do something good, right? And so that's super important because there is still a mismatch between good intentions and good outcomes, right? I think, True. you know, first I would say um, 
you know, honor good intentions. Don't assume that they lead to good outcomes. It takes a lot of work. And as you pointed out, it takes a lot of more efforts and more resources to make sure that the good intentions trans transfer, uh, translate into good and positive outcomes. So Blake Mikoski had a had a really smart idea also when it comes to social entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurial venturing of it, right? Yeah. So baking in the in the price of uh, canvas shoes that he would sell in the Western countries, the cost of producing and delivering shoes for those who didn't have access to shoes in developing countries was really smart. So I think the buy one for one model, buy one, give one, or one for yeah. one model, um, is a true innovation, true social innovation that inspired many. So I think, you know, in terms of good intentions, I think that's a positive outcome. I, I think, you know, let's, 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 uh, let's recognize it. Yeah. The second one that, because I studied, I even used uh, the example in some of my um, academic writings and, and in classrooms, of course, but in, um, although I have to say, you and I know a lot about it, but now like, you know, we get older <laughs> and the kids, you know, the undergrads are like, oh yeah, it was like in primary school. I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's not helping. They don't remember the example. <laughs> so um, the second thing I want to say is that they were very receptive to feedback and adjusted their business model. So yeah. very entrepreneurial as well. I think what the case showed is that great intention led to harm and that you want to avoid, right? Yeah. Harming the communities. One of the studies showed that the uh, the local cobblers got out of business. So it destroyed some kind of economic wealth that was uh, taking place in communities where uh, Tom's Shoes you know, came and, and, yeah. and started donating goods for free. There's also a whole narrative and I think evidence of of um you know giving giving away goods for free and how that's uh, that may be disempowering or you know changing behaviors expected behaviors from uh the beneficiaries I mean that's that's a different debate but I think you know think of the good intentions and think of how they translate into practice in terms of impact and so how do you get to having good um you know, good intentions translated in positive impact. Well, the Tom Shoes case, by highlighting the many ways it went wrong, highlighted also the, the critical principle in social entrepreneurship, which is beneficiary engagement, which is also highlighted in, you know, community and economic development. Um, learning from those benefiting and the key stakeholders who may know them very very well what they need and how the need fits in their system right because you mentioned the well um and you must know that there's so many in initiatives working in the wash you yeah. know uh, sector i don't know what you think of water for people this is a one that i really really like because they They've learned probably from their own mistakes or from others that um, it's not so much about, you know, building water and sanitation facilities, which first they only do if all of the key stakeholders are on board, meaning, you know, in the village, the 
well, the community members or the inhabitants, but also the, um, you know, the school leaders and the school teachers who can then teach the kids how to do it. The parents making sure that they would, you know, yeah, making things up here, maybe use the latrines and making sure everybody in the community is on board. And second, building capacity, but not infrastructure, like human capacity yeah. and capability in repairing the well. I mean, all of these, all of these, um, this kind of after you know after project complete completion elements that you don't think of but are actually critical right so building or giving away the product is just the first step yeah and so this idea of self-operating you know is is i think very very powerful i mean that's first it's aligned with amartya sen's capabilities approach uh very much so in in and community development studies. Um, but I also think that back to your assistance thinking question and, and comments, it's also related to, you know, understanding the system, like who has an incentive to yeah. go and fix the well? Nobody. Oh, but maybe we can create jobs. And I think the last time I spoke to them, um, they highlighted the fact that they created so many, you know, self-employed jobs um, within the women yeah uh population of these communities because the men were already you know busy at work and actually there's so many women plumbers <laughs> in the communities where they have a uh where, where they have um action so i think it's it's great but it's you know it probably takes time yeah but i haven't read the book you mentioned on nonprofits. i think there's a lot of resources and a lot of well-intentioned people so um it's about just yeah Taking taking the time and and not rushing into a band-aid solution because it's no. yeah not going to be impactful in the long term. So it's true the water for people are actually mentioned in that book. Uh, as ah. an example. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I actually I worked with Water for Good, but Water for Good is partnering with uh, Water for People. So okay. I think I met Kimberly from there back in, I don't okay. know, it was a long time ago now. But yeah, I'm a big fan yeah. of what they do as well. Yeah. So in your personal journey from when you kind of decided to jump on this PhD uh, uh -huh. roller coaster, what has been your biggest surprise from then until now? Well, so I will... Well, the first one that comes to mind is what is going to be my answer. So my biggest surprise uh, in the role of, you know, starting on the PhD and, and also making sure that um, I wanted a career in academia, right? Because you can do many different things with a PhD. But for me, once I got it, it was like, I want to be a professor. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I'm a teacher, I'm a learner. But I think the biggest surprise is that it's assumed in the profession that one can teach. Yeah. And, you know, because we 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 are trained and incentivized and pressured to do research and public articles. And they're like, okay, by the way, go teach. And it's really hard and it's an art and it takes practice and it takes, you know, trainings and most universities don't have those at all. That's Here, interesting actually. Yeah, Sorry, but yeah. you speak about your parents and about becoming like a high school teacher, you have to do yeah. ped how do you say ped ped pedagogy, pedagogy. Um, and go to school for three to four years to become a teacher. Right, exactly. But when you're a professor, you just 
research for four years and then you stand in front of a class <laughs> yeah I mean so there's a lots of um yeah you're right exactly my point I mean there's a lot of um sharing about imposter syndrome uh I don't know if this is really what I felt but it's it took me a few years after getting my PhD and my first job was at North Northeastern University in Boston to really feel uh, more confident about my, not, not only my teaching, but mostly what I knew, right? So it took every time I stepped in the classroom, a deep breath or two and reminding myself I knew more than them because I was yeah. terrified that they would ask a question about the third example of page 35, <laughs> you know, and I couldn't answer it. You know, it was like, you know, yeah. because I would, I might, you know, maybe I was projecting, I might have been that, that student reading everything by the letter and having, you know, a genuine question. And um, I think it's, it, it takes practice and confidence to the, just say, oh, oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me, let me do some research and, you know, we'll talk again on Thursday and see if, you know, I can bring you an answer that, you know, that's satisfying. I mean, but <laughs> I think, you know, now it sounds logical for me to do so. Um, but at the same time, I think I will also learn a lot now in my new environment at IMD, which is a, is a amazing institution that mostly teaches um, to executive leaders. So okay, top so leaders that's... of corporations. I'll be teaching in the MBA, MBA program. We also have a, an executive MBA program. So two great programs. And on top of that, lots of um, executive teaching, executive education. And so, uh, you know, that's going to be a new audience for me. It's also, yeah. you know, being confident in what you know and, and presenting it in the way that's accessible, not arrogant, but, you know, confidence. I think yeah. all of that, all of that takes a lot of... Uh, practice and here here we have trainings here they take it super seriously so it's very refreshing it's and it's, it, I think I, I joined in part because I thought I could learn a lot so yeah that's great yeah because I could assume that the audience then and you have the core same interest but your take on it your entire life has been so different where yeah. one is very practical and kind of learning by doing Yes. And then the other one is the complete opposite. So how do you exactly. find that? Exactly. I'll tell you, maybe we'll speak again next year when I have more experience. Yeah, when Let's you <laughs> have a bit more experience. So how do you how do you nurture yourself through it all? Uh, you talked a little bit about intuition and having, you know, mm -hmm. being able to listen to yourself. And in order to do that, you also got to have some sort of space, you know, some yeah. some white space. How do you take care of yourself? In the midst um, of all of it, I I like you know um, how do you say some I'm very extrovert, but I really like more introverts moments. I don't know. I'm not you know I'm not. I'm using these words. Maybe it's not even you know accurate, but introverts moment to to I think. Um, nurture my peace of mind right um and that takes and i'm you know i'm thinking what do i do for myself you know well i can tell you after having moved here a few months ago and going fast paced with the new job the new school for the children uh i do i do less than i did you know a year ago but that takes um the 
the practice of biking to work i mean this is like white space you know it's like i'm just uh by myself biking walks um i used to run a little bit but not so much of a runner so i'd rather go uh walk by the lake and i love doing yoga and i fell in love with hot yoga last year but i i I have to set up a practice here again like i found a studio but i cannot fit in my schedule you know like the usual excuses yeah that i love because it's introvert you know it's like very meditative in a way because I've, at some point you get into the movement you're not thinking about anything else than breathing and then doing the flow um and you know as a hyper efficient person i like the hot because it also makes me get a you know eliminate toxins so it's like a win-win yeah <laughs> it's like multitasking at training yeah, yeah. uh exactly no i think i do that um i used to be yeah, way more anxious. I'm I'm taking a thing at a time too. Um, but you know, I've had some successes, so it gives also confidence, right? I mean, you know, I still have a lot of failures, but it's just it's yeah, it's more balanced now. So I'm like try to take a breath, I'm like, okay, it's okay, it's gonna yeah. be all right. Next thing, back at it, like you know. Yeah, well, that's a good point that you bring up. I think because often when we talk about like imposter syndrome and confidence and all those things, in some conversations it sounds like it's something that you can train to become mm-hmm. better at, whereas I think in reality you just need to do, mm-hmm. and by doing and by experience, it's it's the experience that gives you the confidence, not yeah, you know. Uh, I think but so, it, but it does take bravery. Mm to yeah. go out and do things I think bravery is great <laughs> and courage I mean not not just ours but also um talking to this organization that inspired me so much yesterday and they were saying no we moved away from the writing checks model to a much more you know bottom-up co-creation model of social impact and then um the the informant I was talking to said it takes a lot of courage you know because then they had to go talk to the few nonprofits where yeah. uh, they were writing checks to every year, you know, and maybe it was 50% of their nonprofits revenue saying like, we're going to change our approach to impact. It's for the better. It's for the longer term. It's for the greater good. But, yeah. you know, it's like, it takes courage. And like, yeah, that's right. It takes courage. It takes boldness. Um, yeah. But I think you're right on the experience. It's just like, I mean, I feel way more relaxed now than 20 years ago but it's it's normal I guess um you know generally speaking I had to prove everything I had myself you know can I publish can I do this research rigorously are there gonna be any flows in my research can I teach can I inspire students can I you know answer the questions live but no it's you know it's it's I think you're right it's new questions you know how do I speak to executives in a way that uh, inspires them and fulfills their needs for practical you know um, inputs I think with experience we're just better equipped with tools to just you know take a breath just okay I'll do my best Uh, had a great uh, great great training here Um, it's called stand up and deliver Peter is the founder he's uh, based in the us it's a company that trains um you know leaders and public speakers and and you know i i loved his approach he says like you know your your speaking is a gift to the world so be you 
be your best, just, just, you know, don't take it too personally. No. Um, you're doing your best, you're sharing, try to do it in a way that's, you know, both authentic, but also, you know, professional and, and, and I love what he said, you know, empathy driven, like propose things that are helpful for the audience. Yeah, they're not here to listen to you because you've done 20 years of research. They don't care. <laughs> like exactly. maybe they, you know, it's legitimacy check. Okay, but then what is for me? Like, what can I bring home? Because I'm spending a way here, a week here in Lausanne, away from my family. You know, like we have programs that last a week long. Yeah, what can I bring home and be a better person and a better leader? Yeah. And so I love what he said about you know your. Yeah, you know, I think we take ourselves too seriously sometimes, and it's. And I think you do that so well, Alex, like you find your, your passion and your strength and you, you just share it with the world. You know, you share, you share your, um, your, your little contribution, as you said, like everything counts and you yeah. sharing that, I think to me, it has a lot of value. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember also, you never really know what's going to land within the other person I'm sure you've had experiences of people coming up three years later saying you know oh Sophie yeah. when you said this I, I've just been it's been in the back of my mind mm -hmm. and I think that's important because often when we do speak we we you know want an immediate reaction that what mm. we're saying is doing something but I think more often it's quite a delayed reaction that's uh, a great point yeah and I think that's important to to keep in mind. And with the confidence, I used to be an elite swimmer. So we obviously trained a lot. And our coaches always said, like, of course, you need to train. But then the day that you're standing, you know, in the, to compete, you've done what you've done. So there's nothing you can change on that day. So on that day, all you can do is, like, embrace all that you have, be yourself, focus and have fun. You know, because I think it's 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 easy to on the day stand there and be stressful. I haven't read enough. I haven't trained enough. Uh, I don't know enough. Like, but you know what you know in that moment, you know, and yeah, just embrace I it. I love that. I'm smiling. I'm smiling big, which won't show on the podcast. <laughs> but because this, these are um, very, um, very, you know, reflective of personal conversations we're having in my household at the moment so here's a shout out to my amazing children who adjusted you know very well uh, to this new country and, and way of learning and new languages yeah. um i'll have them listen to that part of the tape because i think they're so smart and they work so hard there is no point in second guessing the day off so exactly it's great i'll i'll, I'll play them that part <laughs> oh, that's nice <laughs> Um, all right, we're going to start maybe wrapping up a little bit. Okay. Time passes mm -hmm. quickly. Um, if you were to give the listener one thing that they could do today to create some kind of impact for humanity or, or the planet, what would that be? Okay, this is a tough one, but one thing that can make a difference is asking yourself whether how you're using your time and your other resources is contributing to your purpose. Mm -hmm. So I think your purpose 
by that I mean some goal that is I think other oriented and that is self-defined so it can be an other can be it doesn't have to be the kids in Africa you know like we said earlier it can be the elderly in your family it can be for your parents or your children it can be for people in your community you know to use the examples that you said like that's your purpose that's who you want to who you know for whom do you wish a better you know a better day so you do it daily and then you know we have 24 hours it's quite a lot I mean it's not you know it's not it's not nothing so are you spending some of your time and your resource resources for your purpose today and are you doing it tomorrow yeah that's beautiful I actually (laughs) read uh in I think it's a Harvard study that we talked about kindness where they said that one single act of kindness ripples to 125 people within 24 hours that's great I had kindness on my uh on my uh cheat sheet that yes I think you can do it with kindness and yeah. I yeah absolutely but yeah that's I, beautiful yeah. <laughs> so how can how can we support you in any in any way if possible so I here's my my hope and my vision is for a more um collaborative world and I'm here talking more professionally so you know of course you know yeah. collaboration and you know and citizenship among you know neighbors is and kindness is all great but with my professional hat on I'm envisioning more productive collaborative ties between different actors the different nonprofits the social entrepreneurs the corporations to look at the potential that lies in working with one another, learning from the other's perspective and contributing to impact that's long lasting because we are, we have good intentions, we're pulling them in common, but we're also thinking beyond the box and in a, in a broader scope with maybe less self-interest or you know the financial bottom line in mind or things like that. Um, thinking for better you know redistribution of value better long-lasting impact where you build wealth i i'm pushing this um this concept with uh tom lumpkin my my co-author of civic wealth creation that really rests on these principles of prosperity and diversity of stakeholders acting together for the greater good so if we can spread the word on that uh, that is super. Okay. So Civic Wealth, it's called. There's a website uh, coming coming out soon. Yeah, um, and it's it really thank you. It's really meant to inspire entrepreneurs, corporations, and community members to to do their part, but do it together. Because I I think that in line with the systems thinking um, approach, we 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 are equipped to do it now. I think yeah. competitive advantages and and things like that, you know, are good. We know how to use it, but collaborative advantages, you know, are just uh, the the next step in yeah. our work efforts. And we can be experts, but still work in community with yeah. other experts. I think Absolutely. that's important. Yeah, everybody's experts of um of their own. Yeah, <laughs> of their own domain, right? Exactly. And, uh, and recognizing that it takes humility, you know, yeah, it takes humility. It but but 
I'm engaging with a lot more stakeholders now in terms of, uh, you know, talking, doing the research uh, to write the civic wealth creation book that's going to come up um, at some point. (laughs) But, you know, these engagements just gave me a lot of hope. It's not I'm I'm hearing what I want to hear. I mean, first, it's very affirming, but also that good intentions are there. Humility is there. There's so many actors that are intending to do good. So how do you, again, translate the doing good intentions to doing good in, in action? In and, action, yeah. Yeah, so I think we'll get there. So I think so, too. <laughs> I think so, too. Thank you so much again, so You're welcome. Uh, for taking the time. You've really been uh, an inspiration, and you've really let us know that we can all do something, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, Alex. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for using your precious time to listen to the We Are All Needed podcast. And if you find the podcast valuable, please rate, review, and most importantly, share this episode so that we can spread more goodness out there in the world. If you want to work with me, find out more about the guests or the community, please jump on over to www.thecircularentrepreneurs.com. Until next time.